Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Alexis the Midwife. And I'm Becky the Doula. Welcome to Notes from the Mother Box, where we will be having real and frank conversations about the highs and lows of the parenting journey. This week is International Baby Loss Awareness Week, so we would like to dedicate this episode to raising awareness, supporting all of the parents who didn't get to bring their babies home from hospital, and celebrating all of their special star babies lighting up our skies. Please remember to take care of yourself and only listen to this episode if you feel well and strong enough to listen to emotional content. We are so honoured to be joined today by Tani Knowles. Tani is a hypnobirthing teacher who also runs pregnancy wellness retreats and she's a mother to Gus and to her beautiful star baby Elvis. Having recently experienced baby loss herself, Tani reached out to us and bravely offered to share her story for Baby Loss Awareness Week. Tani, thank you so much for joining us today, lovely. And I just wanted to open by just asking you, how are you today? Yeah, I'm good. Today is today is a good day. It's very up and down. But yeah, if we focus on today, this yeah. day is, is a good day. <laughs> so Tani, Alexis and I have both supported parents through baby loss in our careers. And we know that it can still be quite a taboo subject, which can leave families who have been through it feeling really isolated, which is one of the reasons we really welcome Baby Loss Awareness Week, because it's so important to sort of mm. to hear the stories, to see those families and, and to sort of and say those babies names. You know, it's, it's important to to celebrate them, too. And we also know that you know, sharing our story helps others who might be going through a similar thing. Um, so that's why we're so honoured to have you on today. And we just wondered if you might share your story with us. Yeah, I'd love to share my story. I love talking about Elvis anyway. It's um, <laughs> any parent that's lost knows that talking about them sort of keeps them there, you know, mm-hmm. um, it makes them feel like they're still with you in that sort of physical sense. But um, yeah, we'll go back to becoming a mum, I guess. And that's probably... Yeah where we'd start if that's cool with you guys yeah, so absolutely I became a mum to my firstborn Gus in 2017 November 2017 and Gus was um you know pretty great pregnancy like you know really straightforward I'm, I'm one of those people I'm one of those really annoying people that loves being pregnant <laughs> 
like really loves it. Um, I'm like with that woman, they're like, you're glowing. Like I, I, I glow in pregnancy and I, pre- I, I feel, you know, I, pregnancy is probably mm. one of the times I feel my best, like in my whole life. So I'm going to really talk about how fabulous it is because mm. I love it. <laughs> um, so yeah, that, that, that annoying person, that's me. Um, and yeah, it was fantastic. And I had planned with Gus, that I wanted to have a home birth and everything was, you know, straightforward, very uh, low risk pregnancy and all was well. And I had um when I was about 30 I think it was 38 weeks and um I had a pre-labor rupture of membranes so my contractions didn't start um after I had um it was only a small leak it wasn't it wasn't that you know in the movies where it just yeah. explodes and there's gushes of water and it was just a little wet patch and it was on my jeans and I was like oh, okay and I started getting really excited I was like it's happening and well, the contractions didn't come. And I'd done a bit of hypnobirthing. I wasn't a teacher yet, but um, I was a student. And um, yeah, I was like, okay, so I've just I've got to remain calm. And um, my midwife at the time, bless her, she came and she did a vaginal examination. And then she was like, um, you know, so if, if the contractions don't start, you'll, you'll have to go into the hospital in about sort of, you know, 24 hours time um, because there's an increased risk of infection. Um, and... J- we spoke about this like not long ago and she was like it was probably the worst thing I could have said to you because you really wanted a home birth and to say that kind of then got me going like every hour I watched the clock go I was like oh no it's getting closer and closer and closer so yeah then the then the the kind of 24 hours passed and we went into the hospital and um I had what I kind of describe now is I was definitely sort of I, I wouldn't say forced into induction but definitely um suggested that that's what I should have and I don't feel like I had like informed consent at the time um right. I think you know the the alternatives weren't really spoken about what I could do um so we had an induction um very long story but I'll, I'll keep it short failure to induce but you guys will know I don't like saying failure to uh, failure to progress sorry but I like to say failure, failure to induce yes um so that happened and mm. um, we ended up having an emergency C-section with Gus, which was not very, you know, emergency at all. It was, you know, spoken about, calm, collected. We had time to discuss it and really think about if that's what we wanted. And, um, you know, the transfer into theatre was really calm and the C-section itself was a really positive experience. And yeah, I really loved it. Mm. And um then Gus is just fantastic kid, great, you know, you know, the normal kind of motherhood, beginning of motherhood stuff. Um, yeah. I had, you know, I suffered from sort of baby blues and stuff, but generally it was, it was pretty great. And um, then we were like sort of almost two years later and we were like, shall we maybe start trying for a number two? And um, there's one thing about Elvis, like Elvis was really wanted. Like, you know, we, mm. with Gus, it was a bit of a, you know, a bit of a fumbly accident and uh, <laughs> not an accident. Yes, an accident. No, it's, you say not a mistake, an accident, right? That's what Gus was, yeah. yeah. A really lovely surprise. Um, so happy accident. <laughs> happy, yeah, happy accident. accident. And we're like, yeah and we're like oh god we've got to sort our shit out so yeah then we um child tried for Elvis not for very long um but anybody who is trying knows that every month when your period comes it's like oh god not again um and yeah so I just sort of I I decided that I was a bit stressed out maybe we need to go on holiday so we went to visit my aunt in Ibiza 
And um, it must have been the fact that we were super relaxed. And I'm not going to go into the nitty gritty details, but um, Elvis was (laughs) conceived. Yeah, again, like beautiful pregnancy, um, really enjoyed it. And it's one thing that um, I'm so glad that I was able to do is have really mindful Mm. pregnancies and appreciate every day of the pregnancy um, and feel really connected with both of them. Um, Elvis, we didn't know the sex we did with Gus, but we didn't with Elvis and Mm. it it didn't matter because we were just, I just felt so connected to him. And I did, yeah, I did like yoga every morning and we traveled loads. We went to, um, we went back to Spain and then we, we went, my husband's Brazilian, so we went to Brazil and we spent Christmas there and winter here is summer there. So we had like a really nice, nice. summer <laughs> there. Yeah, it was awesome. Um, we're very lucky, actually. We get summers in the UK and summers in our winter here and a summer in Brazil, which is yeah. great. So, yeah, he just like lived his life on the best seat in the house, really. Um, pregnancy was fantastic and um, he was just surrounded in love and you know there was a layer of skin between us but mm. it didn't feel like that you know yeah. um and he was just with and me I loved all the time. I loved that you did that post actually I, I really loved that when because often we don't really talk about baby's life in utero do mm. we and I loved that yeah. you put you know he was conceived in Ibiza and he traveled here and you're like and I thought that's mm. so beautiful because we often just forget that they are you know living their little lives in there as well so yeah I loved that post I think it's really important for um, especially parents. It's, it's difficult because I think a lot of parents who have lost probably look back and went retrospect and, and wish that they had appreciated the pregnancy mm. a bit more. So it's, you know, it's not advice I would want to give to anybody to think that perhaps things couldn't go right. But I think I would just like to say to anybody that's pregnant, just try to embrace. I know pregnancy can be hard, but try and embrace the good mm. bits mm-hmm. Um yeah, just 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 having a mindful pregnancy is just really important. And what I mean by that is just not thinking too much about what's mm. going to happen next or when the baby arrives. You know, just really living in that moment and appreciating every second that they're there with you, and mm. the fact that you know they're 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 in utero, they're mm. still living everything through mm. you. They feel all of your emotions. They feel everything that you're doing. They hear all the sounds. They're very much living it with you. Um, and, and extremely aware of what's going on. So yeah, that, that, you know, that was his life and he, he lived a beautiful life. And that's one thing I always like to talk about my husband and I do. And probably what's been so healing for us is seeing his, seeing that he had a life, you know, mm-hmm. it was short. You know, and we've got these ideas, I think, as humans that a long life is a good life. Mm-hmm. Um, and they they are, but with a long life come, comes loss, comes mm. pain, comes a lot of things, although it does come happiness. There's a lot of other things that come with a long life as well. And although his life was short, it was a really, really positive one. Um, so that's helped us a lot. But um, yeah, so we, we, you know, traveled around Brazil, great. Um, and came back to the UK sort of getting ready for the birth and we did um we bought a house like in pregnancy and then um we moved when I was 39 weeks pregnant 
Wow. <laughs> is this know, on the Isle really... of Wight, Tarny? On the yeah, Isle of Wight. Yeah, I live on the Isle of Wight. Yeah. 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 I used to live in London. Beautiful place. Mm. I know it's one of yeah. my favourite places to go to. Is it? Yeah. yeah. It's yeah. it's a really special place. You know, it's um it's a bit out in the sticks. I think some people think we're absolutely mad. Our friends definitely think we're crazy for living here. There's no joke. Oh, I mean, no. they come down and they're like, I mean, it's cute, but guys, really? Um, <laughs> but I think it was just we lived in London for so long and we just went just the complete polar opposite of London. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, so here we are and um, bought our, our our first actual house that we that we own, uh, which was amazing. We we're just like, wow, okay, 2020 was being a pretty difficult year, wasn't it? And um, yes. we were like, well, you know, it's all good because although all these other things are going on in, in our little bubble, in our life, these are the good things that are happening. So mm, we've got a mm. beautiful, healthy family and we're um, buying our first home. We've got our second baby coming along. Everything is good. And we had started the year pretty, sadly, we lost our, I mean, I don't know. Do you guys have pets? Yes. Yeah. Not, uh, not now, but I, I did growing up. Yeah, cats yeah. and dogs. Yeah, so we lost our French bulldog pig um, oh, in yeah in January. So that was like a really, mm. it was a bit of a downer at the start of the year and then everything going on with coronavirus, we were like, God, you know, it can't get any worse than this, mm. right? It's not going to get oh, worse than this. 2020 is an arsehole, isn't it? Oh honestly. my God, honestly. Worst, I, it's hard to say, I, I did say this the other day, I said worst year of my life. And then I was like, no, I need to I need to get out of that because there's so mm. many positive things yeah. in it as well. And and I, um, you know, I'm some, you can probably tell I'm somebody that errs on the side of, of mm. positivity, but um, I don't do it to, I guess, disillusion myself from what's going on. Mm-hmm. I just think that you've, you know, if you don't seek the positives, then... There'll yeah. just be a whole lot of negatives, really. Um, yes. there, there is an element of this. Becky and I talk about this a lot. And it's really interesting because you can meet people who've been through such a lot, but they do the work, I suppose. We, we've spoken about this a lot, haven't we, Becky? Yeah, and it's a lot definitely. of work. It is not easy to do. And they they lean in and they recognise that they deserve more than being stuck in that place. Yeah. That that place of misery. And each and every one of us deserves that, but it's not easy. It's not and like easy. you say, that whole I'm not disillusioning myself. It's such an honor to talk to you, Tani. And Thank and you, you can tell you no, you're not in a place of denial right now. You are no. you recognize what's happened. Yeah. But the, I feel like there's a choice you're making to to honor Elvis's life in in the way that you feel like he deserves and you deserve as parents as well. So what happened after obviously moving into your house? 39 weeks pregnant. Yeah, 39 weeks pregnant. So getting all psyched up for the birth. And uh, he he was a cooker. He hung around, definitely made us wait. So I kept thinking, I'm like, okay, now this is, mm. this is it. And you know, as a hypnobirthing instructor, I'm like, I'll know, I'll know. You know, I'm really going to know when, it, when, it's, when yeah. it's ready. And I didn't. I really didn't. I was like, every time something happened, I was like, oh, this is it. It's happening. And then and then it wouldn't be. And then eventually I was like, it happened so many times that every time something mm. did happen, I was like, well, that's definitely not going to be it. I mean, you know, <laughs> but I wasn't that kind of like pregnant person where I was like so over pregnancy. I was like, I could have had him in there for, mm. you know, I could have carried for elephants gestation. I was I was all mm-hmm. good. And I was huge. Oh, I was really big. He was a big baby. But yeah, come 40 one weeks plus six um I had kind of been having like stop start contractions for a couple of days actually and um you know I was he he was when he was born he was 10.58 and mm. I'm 
about size eight. So he was a big baby for <laughs> for a not very big person. And I I knew, you know, I was like, well, look, I just trust that he, he, it's going to take him a little bit longer because he's a bigger baby and there's a lot more work to be done. And the labour, for the most part, was really beautiful i talk about it like it was it was healing you know mm. having a c-section with gus um although the c-section itself was positive i i felt like i failed in a way and i hate that because i say to parents that i teach don't see it as a failure mm. but it was just something i couldn't i couldn't work through myself and mm. i just i just really really wanted to have that vaginal birth it was like Mm. just it was something I really needed to do and it was so important to me that I had that and you know looking back in retrospect you know Elvis was born via we'll get there in a minute but he was born via c-section anyway and it almost makes you look back and go god I just you know I wish I'd almost asked for an elective c-section at 37 weeks Mm. but I wouldn't have there would have been no reason to because I had just as good a chance as anybody of having a v-back a successful mm-hmm. one at that mm. so the whole labor itself is like really yeah beautiful spiritual um and i you know it was like a little buddha throughout it i just meditated the whole way through it was mm. it was wonderful and um we got right to the end and the midwife was she wanted to do a vaginal examination because it was it was just taking a while the the second stage um and she said she did the vagina examination she was like Tony his head is there he's so close put your hand down and feel and I could feel his head and she was like you're gonna get your v back and I remember being so excited Mm. and we just my husband was just holding me he was you know we we were just so in that moment Mm. and um so willing it to happen and and just so there you know we Mm. were there Mm. he was so close and um I, I suddenly start to feel my contractions sort of tailing off and they weren't as strong as they were before and I sort of said to the midwife I was like I'm it's weird like I I feel like I'm having to put so much more effort in and like I was at that stage Mm. that should be the fetal ejection reflex anyway and I was like why am I you know needing to do so much and she was like I think you really just need I think you need to push because I think we're getting tired so and I always thought that I would be breathing my baby down you know I was like yeah. I'm not I, I don't think I'll I'll push I'll just like let it happen you know as it as as the body decides and um she was like I think we need to we, we need to really give this a go so I did I pushed and I pushed really really hard and still nothing and he was just staying there and um the midwife was like okay maybe maybe I think you should probably pop to the loo and see that helps to move things around a little bit. And um, when I went to the loo, there was, he was, it was being monitored and then suddenly his uh, heart rate changed and I felt this really strong pain and it felt like, I mean, I can only describe it as like, I felt like I was being cut in two mm-hmm. and that was what happened. So my uterus ruptured along my previous C-section scar and you know, that we transferred to um, theatre and um, there was a bit of a wait before going into theatre. They wanted to do an ultrasound. And I remember being like, why, you know, I'm in so much pain. Why are we waiting to do an ultrasound? But I think when we spoke to the consultant, he explained that, you know, they, it's one of the ways that they diagnose it. Um, And I think I was so lucid and like aware of everything. And I was talking and I I think they didn't think that, 
I, that I had actually ruptured because of mm, the right. way that I was talking. And I, I even remember one of the midwives saying, I was like, I, she asked me to move from one bed to the other. And I was like, I can't move myself. I'm in a lot of pain. And she was like, it's just a contraction, just breathe through it. And I was like, I have been having contractions for <laughs> a pretty long time now. And I know what they feel like. And yeah. this is not a contraction. Yeah. Um, it was difficult at that point because they were talking about heart rates and stuff. You imagine there's loads of things going on. It's, you know, there's lots of people around, there's talking, there's um, people complain about the fact they're short staffed and that's then making me really worried. And I was just like, I was like, I have to hold on and like be aware in case I have to make any big decisions Mm. or, you know, I just need to be a part of this. And, um, one of the midwives said to the other midwife, they asked for the heart rate and then she said a heart rate. And I thought she was talking about Elvis, but she was talking about me. And so I thought when she said that he was still alive and he wasn't anymore, his heart rate had, his his heartbeat had gone. And they'd transferred me into theatre at that point. And uh, my husband had to stay out because of coronavirus. This was in June. Um, yeah, 10th of June. So my husband wasn't allowed in the room. And um, the anaesthetist came and... I was talking to him and, and, you know, I, again, this just shows how sort of mm. how I needed to just be a part of the decision-making process. I'm like, okay, well, mm. what mode of anesthetic we're going to use is, uh, you know, we can, are you going to do a general or a spinal? And he was like, well, what would you like? And I was like, mm. I, I need a general because I can't even sit up to allow you to put the needle into my back It's just not going to be possible. And so I remember sort of him getting the stuff ready. And then he was like, just so you know, because of the how much we give of this drug, you um, might be aware of what's happening. So you might still feel what's happening. And he said that. I don't know if you guys have heard. I'd never heard of this before. Even, you know, my mm. years of talking to midwives and having midwives with friends, that um, that could be possible that you might feel mm. what's happening. And I was just like, okay, well, I'm in so much pain anyway. I what what are the other I don't have time to think about what the other options are so just go for it so I was put to sleep and there was about an hour of time which is so hard to think about this and my my husband and I both always get upset when we think that there's an hour of time when we both weren't aware of what was happening with Elvis Mm. neither of us were and that's really hard um to Mm. think that we weren't really kind of present although I was there I wasn't awake to to mm. live it and although the resuscitation was probably not something we would have wanted to have seen anyway mm. Mm. yeah it doesn't matter when it's your child you just mm. want to be there for them so he was delivered via c-section and basically because i'd ruptured they they only needed to do the c-section to the kind of top layer of skin because my uterus had ruptured and he was in my abdomen mm. um and the reason why he had he had passed um just you guys will probably know what happens, but to the to people listening is that um, I hemorrhaged basically. So I mm-hmm. lost three and a half liters of blood. And what happens is then he wasn't receiving the, mm. the blood that he needed and, and baby's supply of oxygen comes mm. from that. Um, and, and that's, yeah, why he passed because he just, he, he didn't have enough oxygen and he was delivered, but he was in my abdomen and um, they tried to resuscitate him um by all sort of humanely ways possible and and they couldn't and um my husband at that point he sort of saw he didn't know what had happened with Elvis he was in the other room and he saw from the hallway me being passed sent through into um 
intensive care and uh, I had tape over my eyes and um, tubes and everything coming out of me from everywhere. And um, he ran into the sort of hallway to stop them and was like, where are you, where are you taking her? And they said, we've got to take her to intensive care. She's lost a lot of blood. And my husband, bless his heart, he lost his brother 11 years ago. And the last time he saw his brother was in intensive care. Mm. And, you know, to him, intensive care just means death basically mm-hmm. and so he thought that I was gone and he at that point he hadn't really thought I think he just mm-hmm. didn't even process what was happening with Elvis and then um the pediatrician came in and spoke to him and explained what happened and um I just think that he was just mm-hmm. probably so overwhelmed with emotion he just I, I just don't think it's so much to process you know yeah, seeing absolutely. your wife being whisked away to intensive care and then you know being told that your baby hasn't survived and at being asked if he wanted to hold him which mm-hmm. of course he did and he then spent I think I was in intensive care for about three hours and I was uh, asleep and uh, he called all of our family and friends and one thing they've all said to me is that it the hardest thing knowing that I was going to wake up yeah, and find out that Elvis wasn't there anymore and they all knew and I didn't know. Mm. Um, so that was really hard for all of them. Um, for my husband to have to go through that without me there, it's just so, you know, yeah, so hard. I mean, he had midwives and stuff, but he didn't have a family member. He didn't have anybody that he knew to support him through that. And... Um, I think that's going to, that will affect him for, there's no amount of therapy Mm. I think that can truly help that. Um, So he had about three hours with Elvis before I was stable and be able to uh, be woken up. And um, I sort of remember from my point of view, what I remember was that I just sort of had this like a cold cold air on my nose Mm. sort of. And I felt like waking up to this sort of, tubes in my nose and just tubes everywhere and in a really bright room and um there was a midwife and the uh, intensive care nurse at the bottom of the bed and um they asked uh, if I knew where I was and I said I did and I think I knew mm. I think I knew um because I think under general anesthetic you are still there's something I think mm, yeah. you truly deep down you know um, and I think I was, I think I knew, but, but, but hearing the words coming out from her mouth and her telling me that he had passed was just, yeah, that's the hardest thing a parent could ever mm. hear. Yeah, absolutely. And, Especially um, after everything you'd been through as well, you know, your body would have been on such high alert after all yeah. of that. So it's sort of double impact, isn't it? Yeah. I think I was in, I was in shock definitely mm. at that point. Yeah. And, um, she asked if I wanted to see him, which of course I did. So my husband wheeled him in in this little um, grey silver cross pram, which wasn't ours. And I remember thinking it was really nice. And I was like, even the fact I was thinking that was like, obviously my mm. brain was just like, oh. <laughs> yeah. mm. just yeah. like mind fart, you know, mm. at the worst possible time. Um, and But I guess it's just your, your brain's way of coping with something so... Mm torturous you know mm, how yeah. could you be you you just can't process it you can't mm. and um my husband brought him in and before I looked at Elvis I um just held my husband and just told him how sorry mm. I was I was just so sorry that we were both there that it was happening to us and that you know he had to 
Mm. He had to be the one wheeling our son in, you know, when he was, mm. when he had passed. And then he put him on me. I remember just thinking how huge he was. He was just so big. Mm. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how. I honestly don't know how he was inside when I was carrying him around. Like in my in my arms felt like he was so heavy in my arms. I couldn't imagine that I had him in my tummy for so long. Yeah. And um and and he was so beautiful. He was so yeah. beautiful. And I think when it, it, they call it a stillbirth because he passed in labor. So he was born dead. But because he had passed so close to when he was born, 605. Mm. He his he still looked you know mm. perfect so his um he was still had like redness in his cheeks and his lips were still wet they weren't dark yet you know there was still a lot of mm. oxygen in his body to keep those things looking um fresh was probably the best word to yeah. use and um yeah he's just so beautiful and just think i just thought god this is just such a how how he's such a big healthy boy how mm. could it how could he not you know have have survived that <laughs> And um, we, yeah, we got to spend three days with him, just um, taking him in and I guess trying to feel all that energy that was Mm. still left in him. Um, It takes a while for it to all go, you know, there's still energy buzzing around in there. So just trying to take that all in and hold him as much as I could. I just, just yeah just looking at him and it's so hard to know that you're on like a timer yeah mm-hmm. that eventually yeah. you'll not be able to look at them again and they said something i heard which was really powerful once and um somebody said that there's a point in every person's life where your parent lifts you up and puts you down for the very last time and you never know when that will be and it was really difficult that I knew when that was yeah. with Elvis. And so on the, kind of on the third day, we were like, yeah, I think this is, I feel like everything that's in him is not there anymore. And, you know, we'd, we'd taken him all in and we'd given him everything that we could and it was time to, to go home. And, um, in the early days, people would say to me, um, I think a lot of people thought I was in that freeze response and they would say, you know, you're doing things really well at the minute, but, um, you know, it, you might, it might get a bit harder when things really sink yeah. in and nothing, nothing could be harder than walking yeah. away and leaving him in that hospital. Um, and that broke every part of me, you know. It really did. There's nothing, no parent should ever have to do that. I've walked out with a couple of couples from that, that exit of hospital. And it's, I have to say it's, it's been the hardest thing I've ever had to do. And it wasn't my lived experience. I was just supporting them. But both times we walked out and I remember looking up at the sky and there was the biggest rainbow on both times. Mm. And you know, when you just go... Yeah, they're up there. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. there's there's something, yeah, quite beautiful in, in that utter sadness, you know. There is. And that's what we, with his funeral, we made it a celebration. We were like, this is not going to be a sad event. I mean, people can cry if they want to, but we're going to make it special. <laughs> and we're going to make it a celebration. It's going to be his birthday, you know. Yeah. And um, 
it was beautiful you know that day was gorgeous like the green was the greenest green and the white was the whitest white and everything's perfect and you know mm. the breeze was just right and the bird song was just everything was was perfect and we made such a celebration for him a celebration for Amazing. his life um and i'm so glad that we did that that we made that conscious decision to make it something positive and that was a big part of our healing process as well i think that we 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 were so um wrapped up in that for so long that actually the the first days were although there was it was it was so heavy because we had something to focus on for him it kept us really sort of okay this is what we're going to do and we're thinking about all the positive things that we can do my husband's eulogy was just the most beautiful thing he just wrote just i i can i can never do it justice um i'm not even going to try and explain how beautiful (laughs) it was because it was just incredible but he explained about um what I was talking about, about how we, we see Elvis's life as the life in the womb. And um, we did a lot of um, reading of sort of Buddhist teachings um, to kind of help us through grief and their sort of idea of impermanence and um, that that death doesn't happen. It's just something changing form mm-hmm. um, manifesting into something else. And, you know, life and death aren't things Um a life doesn't ever start anywhere and death doesn't ever end anywhere. It's just mm. these ideas that we have as humans. And that's really helped us um, through not that we're, you know, going to be living in a monastery um, and being monks anytime <laughs> soon, but it's um, the the philosophies yeah. behind us that have really helped. Us. Those things are so helpful though, aren't they? You know, you need, you need sort of little mm. anchors that help you to feel grounded in your grief, don't you? As well? We really do. Absolutely. And to make some sense of something that just feels so completely and absolutely senseless. Absolutely. You know, and in those moments. And actually, you just talking just then about those moments and actually waking up and the midwife, um, I forget, did you say the midwife and who else was at the end of um, It was the intensive care nurse. Yeah. And I think, and Becky, I'm sure will back me up on this, the babies that we've bared sort of witness to them being born still, we don't forget those babies. No. You don't forget their names and you don't forget their faces. No. Sorry. No, it's fine when people cry and they say, I'm sorry, I'm crying. And I'm like, you know, when people say, I wish I could take some of your pain. When people cry with you, that kind of, although they're not taking the pain away, it just shows that they really feel it. They really feel it. And that's, there's a, there's a peace in knowing that other people feel you, you know? Yeah. I think that's the thing. I think when you have seen those babies pass and you've held those mums I don't I think it's I can remember every single one yeah but I always remember them with with joy but it's like you know it's like anything isn't it when when there's a bit of grief in there when there's a new bit of grief it kind of picks Mm. the scab a bit doesn't it and it sort of comes up to the surface Mm. a little bit but it's nice you know I also enjoy talking about them because I like you say it keeps their memories alive doesn't it which is important and I'm thinking about one little boy in particular right now and this is Oh my goodness, it's got to be 15 years ago in my career. And I still remember him. I can I know his name, everything. And I remember um, when the parents um, called the buzzer and said, you know, we're ready for you to take him now. And it was, and you know, that moment, Tani, when it's, you know, when it feels right for you and we'd left them alone. And I just remember we carried him down the corridor, sort of all wrapped up. And I just, I was young. I hadn't had children on my own at that point. And I will never forget the feeling of love that came from that room. And yeah. also I was working with another midwife who was a mother and had was a very, very experienced midwife. And 
oh, there was this just very interesting and curious feeling of just calm and love and gentleness with this baby. And I just, yeah, it just really sticks with me when, when we're talking about this experience and what you went through. I'm thinking about your, bless your husband, just... Yeah. Oh, just that what when you told that story and what he was going through. Oh, and that's another thing I sort of always think about when partners are left outside. Obviously at the moment it's happening a lot more than it it really devastates me that that's something that's happening at the moment it needs to change desperately. But on the odd occasion over the years I've had I've worked with women who've been having a GA and, and partners have been outside, I have made a very, very conscious effort to keep nipping out of the room and talking to them. Because what a horrible, horrible place to be. Yeah. Away from the you know, mum to be, the woman that you love, your baby, everything. So yeah, my heart just goes out obviously to all of you and I'm just thinking about him in that moment. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. When a baby is, is, is lost, obviously family and friends, you know, they just, they want to do the absolute very best for you and they don't know what to do. And perhaps sometimes they don't know what to say. And I'm just wondering whether over the last few months, and I know that you've done a couple of posts on this, Tani, what you think, what advice perhaps would you give? And have you learned from this experience that if you knew somebody who was going through such a, a time in their lives, you might do or say, or something that you could offer that might offer some comfort to that person? I think firstly, um, there really are no words to make it better, you know? Mm. Yeah. And trying to find the words, sometimes you come out with the wrong words. Um, mm. And I do, I'm, I was very forgiving when, when that happened, because I, I think that it's such a difficult position to be in because there's nothing you can say to make it better mm. there's nothing you can say and um I think one thing for me was probably shouldn't have had this happen but my, one of my friends gave me a, a hug I know it's coronavirus but um she was in my bubble oh no I know um I know a hug um, corona I mean that is like that's totally allowed <laughs> I mean one of my friends gave me a hug and like normal times that's like yeah of course they would give you a hug and now we're like oh god a hug <laughs> um, so she just held me and she didn't say anything mm. you know she didn't yeah. need to say anything she just let me cry and just held space for me I think mm. and that's really important to not try and fill silence with words even yeah. if it feels awkward for you know that the person that's going through it if they need to talk they'll talk and if if yeah. they don't need to talk that's why they're not talking yeah. um so trying not to I guess fill things with with your um fear of the silence you know just mm. allow it there's I'm something fixing stuff yeah. isn't it people always want we we talk about this Alexis and yes, I even in do. our jobs we have to check ourselves because there's that tendency to want to fix it and make it yeah. better because because yeah. that's what you do in your job you make things better but 
there are some situations, like you say, where actually you need to sit in that pain with that person and yeah. and not try and fix it because it's unfixable right it's now. Unfixable. You know, so, exactly. Yeah. Um, and then from that, people saying things like, um, you know, be strong um, is... A, a difficult one as well because it's sh- you 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 don't have this is probably one of the times in your life when you really really don't have to be um yeah. and <laughs> leaning into the grief is really mm. really important it's so important to feel mm. it all and really feel it up you know like <laughs> feel yeah, it yeah. all in um and experience it um and just let it be so and if strength is something that's happening then that's amazing but not feeling like that's how you have to behave because if somebody Mm. says to you oh you're so strong then that might make you feel like then that's how you 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 have to be and that shows that you're doing well so you're going to continue to pretend that you're strong even at the times that you're Mm. not um and other just really practical things you know i think often people forget that you're in the postnatal period as well. So all the things that people would do when you're postnatal, so, you know, bringing you around cooked meals or offering to look Mm -hmm. after your older children if you have older children, um, offering to take your dog for a walk, all of those little practical things are really important, um, really, really important. And equally, uh, some of my friends are going to, when they listen to this, they're going to be like, oh God, because I did that. And I just want them (laughs) to know, like, please don't worry. But um, I'm just saying it to advise other people. That thing of let me know if you need anything, because when you say, let me know if you need anything, you're putting the onus on the person that's going through the grief to ask. And often they really don't know what they know, what they need, mm, you know? Yeah. Um, and if you say, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z for you, yeah. when works for you is the best yeah. way. Um, Definitely. So that's, I think that's really, really important to offer support without asking, you know, do you know what I mean? Right, rather yeah. than just yeah, saying, what, absolutely. what can I do, do you know, for this you? Is- this is taking me back, Tani, and it's reminding me of um, years and years ago. I remember reading a cookbook by Nigella Lawson. And I don't know if you know her story, but she has had a lot of tragedy in her life. She's lost a lot of very, very close people, including her husband in his, I can't remember if he was 30s or 40s at the time of cancer, very quickly with two very young children. And I remember there was a chapter in one of her cookbooks um, titled, I think it was Food for Grief or Food for a Funeral. And she spoke about how sometimes just... They just are not the words. There are no words, but you're so desperate to let that person know that you have, you are overflowing with love for them. They are on your mind constantly. And so I think in this, um, in the book, she talks about things that you could cook and just like leave on their doorstep. Mm. And it's like, you're not even saying anything. You're just showing them what, I guess I suppose you're just showing them that you're there and they're and they're constantly on your mind and you just you want to love and nurture them yeah. and this is the best way you know how in this moment perhaps yeah. that's what that's what the same friend did the one that gave me a hug you know yeah. the one I said she just didn't I, I honestly she needs to write a book on how to support somebody through yeah. grief because all yeah. of the good examples <laughs> I'm giving and she's yes. you know the hardest thing is that we we're pregnant at the same time and yeah. she's due her baby any day now actually um and that you know for her to give me that support when she's going through pregnancy is just so she Mm. she'll be dealing with all of her own grief you know Mm. with what's happening um with us and trying to keep positive and mindful through her own pregnancy but yeah she's been um she's been incredible she's been a really helpful this is something that's come up again with with couples that we've worked with who've lost their babies is that they've said to us things like, my mum doesn't know how to 
be there for me right now because she is in grief herself yeah. or my sister. And it's like this, um, you know, like you throw the pebble in and it's like ripples in the pond. It's touching all mm. these people that are so close to you. This is what, this is what's true to them. This is what's real for them in the moment. Their heart's breaking mm. as well. Yeah. But obviously you're the parents and they yeah. want to be there for you. And it's, yeah. oh, it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? It's so, so difficult. Absolutely. Yeah, my absolutely. my dad was there through everything. My dad was there on the day that we had to leave. You know, he he, mm. he kept the, and actually we were quite fortunate that the hospital were quite supportive of us having visitors and stuff. And my son yeah. Gus got to meet Elvis as well, which was beautiful. Oh. So important, so wonderful yes. that we had that. And we got pictures of us all mm. as a family, which is just really special. Um yeah. but my dad was definitely, you know, my dad's one of those. My dad's still grieving and and heavily I think even more heavily now he is and I'm now trying to support him I'm like dad here is the number for science helpline will you please just call them you need help (laughs) I'll call them for you and put them on loudspeaker here (laughs) oh I love that you're sort of you know you're there for each other in that way is he on the Isle of Wight as well no he lives in Salisbury but he's um been yeah he's been he came well he stayed with us through through all of that just um you really need you really need somebody to just hold you through that. And he was a mate. He was, yeah, incredible. We're so fortunate for him. Going back to what you said beforehand, something that Becky and I are very, very passionate about is this idea, exactly as you said, Tony, is that when um, somebody loses a baby, whether that be a miscarriage or a stillbirth or um, neonatal loss, that there is a postnatal period to... um, your your physical healing after you had a baby as it would be if you'd had a, a living baby and a lot of women said you know that they they received flowers and it was really lovely so they had a house full of flowers but you know more things to have to look after when you're going through grief sometimes isn't obviously the most useful thing but they had nothing to help their sore bottom or their perineum or the fact that they had bruising and that they were uncomfortable i mean aside from everything that's going on in the mind with with the grieving process they had, you know, leaky breasts and they had all of the things that another person would have after a vaginal delivery or a cesarean section, as well as everything else they were dealing with. And we put our hands up because when we started the mother box, we created boxes for pregnancy, for birth, for the postnatal period. And we had a number of women contact us actually independently who don't know each other from different experiences from, you know, lady had a miscarriage, another lady who'd had a... um who'd uh, who'd experienced a stillbirth. And then actually another lady who'd lost a baby a couple of weeks after he was born saying, I I love what you do, but I don't recognise myself in what you're offering right now. And actually you offer such beautiful things and I'm postnatal as well. And we had a bit of a moment, didn't we, Becky, where we just thought we need to create something that really honours the postnatal period that, um, you know, really focuses entirely on that mother's body healing from what they've been through as well and that's why we worked with our we've got a wonderful medical herbalist joe farron and um she's just so beautifully sensitive and we worked out what essential oils what teas what would be good for bruising and physical healing but also would draw in sort of the holistic elements of what's going on in the grieving process as well and that's why we created mm. the lost box essentially what helped you postnatally heal physically was there anything that you tapped into that you needed after your cesarean section for your body as well as your mind yeah I mean I think it was just that trying to self-care has been Mm. great you know and I'm not I'm not normally somebody that's like 
products and stuff help me but like people so a lot of companies um you know from from my instagram and stuff like people that i've done stuff with before or have um worked with me when i did the pregnancy retreats and stuff like just sending me lots of little things just like, even if it's just mm. a face mask and stuff it seems so silly doesn't it like a face mask mm. is gonna make you feel better but um that leaning into the self-care and also i've sort of mm. um Again, you know, when I talk about trying to keep Elvis alive, it's like I'm uh, I, I'm doing things now. Like, so I've, I've had a real sort of issue in confidence, not not like confidence of like how I look, not like that at all, but confidence in my body. Um, I used to feel so in tune with my body and I felt like I had a really good grasp of my intuition and all those things. And when you don't notice that your uterus is rupturing... <laughs> That's like, mm. oh God, like me failing to spot that is what ended in the death of my child. And as much as everybody can say, like, it's not your fault. And I get, I get that rationally, I get that, but there's, there's still, there's an underlying thing just as a mother that if you've lost your child, it's your fault. So building up a relationship with my body again. So like mm. doing things like doing the scar massage, it's been really bloody hard. I mean, it's been really difficult, but doing that... It's so that, emotional, isn't it? You, it's really emotional. You don't realise yeah. when I work with women doing scar massage, how much emotion is caught up, A, in your abdomen anyway, but, yeah. but in the scarring. It's Yeah, um, yeah so well done for, for yeah. cracking on with that because it's you. hard. And acupuncture as well has been really helpful. So just from a, a, a healing perspective, but also um, our, my acupuncturist, she's great with sort of helping with pinpointing the areas of grief as well. Um, and and it's, I mean, really emotional every time I go, but that's been a really helpful tool for me. Um, and it's sort of a way of like gaining control of the possibility of future pregnancies and stuff as well. I mean, that's all that's all wrapped up into it and it's very, it's very early. So um, it's not, but I just, I'm trying, I think I'm just desperately trying to do anything I can to like help, you know, future. So that's, that's one thing that's been important, but I'm so glad that you guys have, open conversation and done boxes for mums who are going through that because you definitely as mm. as a, a lost mum you feel like a lot of companies don't um reflect your situation um or have a product that reflects it and I think a lot of a lot are getting better um but like even for example um I won't name the name but there's like those um online communities for uh for mums um we, mm -hmm. like, like the apps that you can download and on there I mean I even I sent them an email saying that there's no option for if you've lost your baby to put because you can mm. put if you're pregnant and you can put how old your baby is but you can't put on there if you've lost your baby mm. and I thought that would be really helpful to help you find other lost mamas yeah. in your area so yeah Absolutely. more companies need to sort of come around to it but I'm so glad that that you guys have because it's so important to feel like your voice is being heard Oh, we did it a couple of years ago. They come with booklets in them and the booklets are written actually by mums who've been through it, sharing their stories and sort of saying, you're not alone. And and this is what mm. I've experienced. And um, actually really recognising that the impact that that little life had was perhaps bigger than you could imagine in your wildest dreams. Do you remember, Becky, when we were putting the booklets together and we were reading those stories? And I, again, I admit this freely, we were in floods, weren't we? We were absolute yeah. floods of tears. Total mess. Because it's so, <laughs> so beautiful, the words that they'd put together to honour these babies and to say, wow, you know, in the smallest shortest little life baby do you understand the impact you've had on my life like sort of 
like, do you understand the lessons that you've taught me as a mother? Is And I think yeah. perhaps that surprises people actually. And, and it did me because I haven't been through that. Um, To think, wow, I never thought about it in that way that that, that child has taught that person more about themselves than they could have ever imagined in their wildest dreams. And I guess we wanted the boxes to also allow women to honour their postnatal period and not just brush it under the carpet, which is what I saw happening time and time again, because my ladies were going home and then it was about organising a funeral and it was about dealing with bereaved relatives and all the logistics. And I remember one lady started... um, running she started doing like you know running to raise money and and I was like honey you are so postnatal still you mustn't be running you know she she was starting to get pain in her hips and I was like you need to honor this postnatal period and you know and I I, obviously you can't say what someone has to do because it's a really personal journey but I I think she needed permission to still be postnatal to still Mm. honor that postnatal phase because her arms were empty I think she felt that she couldn't do that and nobody else had said to her it was important for her recovery and so I think when we were putting the boxes together we were like just really hope this helps women to kind of feel like Mm. they still need to take that time you know absolutely to validate them in their postnatal period and I think you said Becky beforehand you know again just absolutely heartbreaking to hear one of the mums that you'd work with so that they didn't feel like they deserved to be postnatal yeah their body hadn't earned that right and of course yeah. that's not true no not at all it's it, even more important really and Tani like you talking about doing that scar tissue massage work and connecting with your body and sort of honouring what it what it did and carrying Elvis for those months and connecting the two of you to each other. I think that that's so important for other parents who go, go through this to hear that. Definitely. And are there any charities or organisations that you have found particularly helpful? Like if anybody else is listening and wants to reach out, is there any any in particular that you've really liked? I mean, probably the one that has been the most helpful through us through this journey is um, Teddy's Wish. So it was um, Uh set up by Jen Reed um, and her husband and they lost their little boy, uh, Edward, uh, to SIDS, actually. And um, they've been so... I mean, Jen, just like even phone calls and stuff, she's been amazing, but they've um, put us on fully funded counselling. So we get that. We've got this amazing counsellor and she just... She sort of in the beginning was just like that, the highlight of our week in a way, although we knew that we were going to get really emotional. She just like, she just, she holds space for us so well. Mm. And my husband has got like a PhD in philosophy and stuff. So he's like, for he's any, I think, counsellor's worst nightmare <laughs> because he'll challenge them, you know, like big time. <laughs> um, and bless her, like she takes it all in her stride and he adores her, which is amazing because I was really worried about suggesting bereavement yeah. counselling to him, a couple's bereavement counselling, because it's that thing of like, you know, oh, are we broken, you know, and, mm. and actually deciding that, you know, our relationship is going to change after this a lot. And how do, how do we work through it as a couple? And Teddy's Wish has been amazing at supporting us um, with that. What I'm actually doing, um, I don't know if you guys have seen on my Instagram, and we're doing a wellness week. So I've partnered up oh, with loads of um, kind of influencers and uh, fitness experts and stuff and yoga instructors and mindfulness experts on um, Instagram. And we're going to be doing mm. loads of lives and Zooms. So there's loads of information about that on, my, um, on my page and in my bio, there's a Just Giving link. And all of the funds raised, they're going to be going to Teddy's Wish um, and they do bereavement retreats as well. So then th- this is the thing. Um, 
Alex, you said something before and it, it really kind of struck something in me that denying the fact that it happens doesn't mean that it that it, you know that it's not going to happen to more people and i think mm. you know stillbirth statistics haven't changed that much in a long time mm. and yeah. parents continue to go through it you know daily and it's really important that there's that support there for parents. Um, mm. So Teddy's Wish, although they do fund research into um, supporting, you know, the the research into stillbirth, the reasons why it happened, mm. SIDS, um, neonatal death, they also really support parents on their journey, which I find is really, really important that you've got that support. Mm. Um and then uh, Sands as well, fantastic charity mm. day. They're um Sorry, the reason I went, oh, it's because I just hit my microphone to the to the people that are listening, just so you know. Um, but uh, Sans, um, they, uh, they they funded the room that we were in. So it's a bereavement mm. room. So for parents to go to, so you're off the maternity ward. Because one thing that was really difficult, we were put uh, initially after having Elvis, we were put into the same room that we were in after we had Gus. And that was really oh, strange mentally because I kept looking yes, down at him yeah. and expecting him to move. And there was also mm. a poster on the wall and it said has your baby fed in the last three hours oh i'm a breastfeeder and i still feed gus so for me that was like it's like every time i looked at it and i tried not to look at it but it was there so eventually thankfully we got moved into the breathing suite which was really helpful and we didn't have to hear other babies crying and it just was a place for us to have some peace and time to grieve which we really needed so sans for that and sans do lots of um telephone support as well um and then lastly, for Louis, um, they had a, a little box. They do these box bereavement sort of boxes where mm. you can make memories. And like, you don't think, you know, that you're, you don't think about how you should be making memories with your baby in three days, you know, mm. nobody yeah. thinks that. Um, and it's just set up so beautifully. Mm. You know, there's little, you can take their little handprints and their footprints and keep that with you forever. And a little lock of his hair. Every time I look at his hair, mm. I just, I know his hands and his footprints. I don't know why, but maybe because the hair is a physical piece of him. Mm. That gets me every yeah. time. I mean, I love it, but it, you know, um, yeah. obviously. And um, a little candle you can light for them. And then it also comes with two teddies. One that stays with them and goes with them and one that stays with mm. you and that's that was oh, so lovely love because that. we could never have planned those things and the fact that they mm-hmm. had that yeah. box and all of those wonderful thoughts in it and the thing is is all of these mm. things are set up by bereaved parents because yeah. you know I guess you're the only ones that truly know and we're the only ones that think about the fact that that would be really helpful um so yeah those yeah. three Te- um teddy's wish sans and for louis We'll make sure we put all their links in the show notes so that people can click through to them. And then I guess another thing we wanted to ask you was one of the things that I have spoken to my bereaved mums lots of times about are those awkward conversations. So, you know, you're in the playground and your toddler's playing and invariably you're talking to another mum and it always comes up of like, oh, have you just got the one? And so many times they've said it it stings, obviously, and they've sort of so they've either kind of had the conversation and it's been quite difficult or and and of course the person then feels bad and there's a slightly awkward moment or lots of them have said they just go oh oh yeah and then they feel dreadful for the rest mm. of the day because actually they don't mm. want to say they haven't you know got their other baby and you know it, have you found ways of navigating those conversations 
have you had many of them yeah I don't I don't know yeah I all lost parents do but I think uh, the, the, the funny thing is is that small talk is to avoid awkwardness isn't it so that's why people yeah. do it <laughs> and then bless them I know. <laughs> they're like thrown into it. it's like well actually um yeah. but yeah I mean I I still get so emotional when it happens um and I think that's it's it's important to say to parents that have lost is that if the thing that you're worried about is getting emotional don't worry about it because anybody yeah. that you are speaking to will understand and don't see their awkwardness as a sign of them being uncomfortable. It's probably just that thing of they just really don't know what to say. And because they don't yeah. know you, they probably don't feel like they can just hug you, you know? Um, and I think that it's, I, I do understand that, that, that thing of, well, what if I don't talk about them? Mm. Then then I'm not honouring their life. Mm. And I think everybody deals with it in their own way. If it's if it's easier for you and you think it's going to be better if if you if you don't, then that's what's right for you. Yeah. But if you really feel like you need to honour them and you want to talk mm. about them, then do and do so mm. with emotion because it's real. Um, you know, eventually uh, I'm not at that point yet, but I do have friends that are, that there comes a point when you talk about it so automatically mm. that people seem to think that you almost don't care in a way or or that you're not emotional mm. enough because you because you say it so flippantly. You're like, well, you know, I did have another one, but unfortunately they passed. And people are like, well, that's a bit taken aback by mm. how it just rolls off the tongue, tongue so easily. So I'm not quite there yet. I'm still very much like I I haven't got my script together. I don't have yeah. a go-to sentence. That That's eventually what I'm working towards. But the question always presents itself in a different way. So yeah. I'll yeah. come up with an answer and then I'll be like, <laughs> and then I'll be like, oh God, no, I can't answer like that because mm. I'm going to sound like I'm weird. <laughs> so I just do, I just do what you can, you know, probably tell by me that I just speak from the heart, but I think it's just important. Your baby is in your heart. So just yeah. speak from, yeah. speak from the heart mm. basically. And just, um, yeah, just talk about them in whatever way feels comfortable to you. And if you're, if, if it makes you sad, then that's completely fine. And just cry. Yeah. Because it's normal. Yeah. Finally, can we ask you, we ask at the end of our, um, uh, each of our interviews about uh, if you were to, to give a note heading out to a new mother in a box, what would it be? And I want to ask, because obviously of the nature of what we're talking about today, if you were sending um, a loss box to a mum who's just lost their baby, from your experience and what you've been through, with just a little bit of heartfelt advice on it for them, what do you think it would say? Um, to be kind to yourself, I think, is a really important thing. Um, everybody else will be kind to you, but if you can't be kind to yourself it's going to be an awful lot harder to mm. walk this road um, and when I say be kind to yourself I don't mean don't allow yourself to be angry at yourself or feel mm. guilt because feeling all of those things is mm. being kind to yourself you know so just really leaning into everything that comes with grief and allowing yourself to feel all of it and that that's being kind to yourself I like oh darling thank you much. so so yeah. much for coming on today we can't you know, it's it's been such an honour. Thank you for trusting us, telling us all about your beautiful boy, Elvis. Thank it's you been for a complete and utter honour. And we're going to add in all the show notes, obviously, all the information that you've shared, really, really valuable information, so that others who are going through or need to know more will have it there for them. Thank you so much. Thank you for Thanks, having me. Love. 
Thanks once again to the amazing Tani for coming on and sharing her story so openly with us. What an inspiration she is. If you or somebody you know has been affected by baby loss, please do go and have a look in our show notes where we have supplied links to charities and organisations that can offer help and support. Take care and see you next time on Notes from the Mother Box. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.